Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is a, is a tough find. I'll warn you in advance. If you're struggling, the first thing that God wrote was a table of contents in the front of your Bible. And uh, He had you in mind when He wrote this. So, you can find Colossians that way. We'll be in chapter 3. This week, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, uh, talking about work. And last week, we established a few things about work, and we're going to build off those things. Um, But last week, just as a reminder... um, we talked about how work doesn't work. We talked about the problem uh, with work. That there's quite a bit of frustration because for many of us, work just doesn't work. Work's not working for us. Some, Some here feel that they have no worth because they don't have work right now. And for others, they feel like their work just isn't worth it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make an impact. You're not appreciated. You're um, underpaid uh, for what you do. And what you do just doesn't have an impact. And for some of you, you're frustrated with work because you find your worth in your work. So you keep driving. You keep pushing. You keep striving. And you're frustrated because you can't possibly do what you think is being asked of you. And so I find that most people, when I ask a few questions, are actually pretty frustrated with work, and the truth is is that work's not working for most of us. That's not all the time. Sometimes there's satisfaction in what we do, but I find that to be really short-lived, that that's not generally our experience in our vocation. So last week we also established that it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always the truth that work didn't work. God made work. And like everything else God made, work was good. And then as you know, if you're familiar with the Scriptures, sin enters the scene and it sets the stage for a life of struggle and strife in the area of work. In particular, in particular, when sin enters the scene, relationships and your work are penalized. And I can't think of two things that bring more trouble in our lives, more heartache than our relationships with people and the jobs that we work Monday through Friday. If I ask you how you're doing and you say I'm not doing so well, 
I can almost guarantee that what will follow is a relationship that feels broken or a job that you're frustrated in. Adam and Eve lost all kinds of things when sin entered the scene. Work was not uh, one of them. As we said last week, I, I think you know Adam and Eve lost relationship with God, but they kept work. I would have rather lost work and kept relationship with God, but apparently Adam and Eve lost their right to vote. So this is what God says to them. And to the man, God said, the ground is cursed because of you. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. He basically says to them, you know, it's, it's not going to produce the way you want it to produce. And that's the frustration I seem to hear from people is it just doesn't produce the way I want it to produce. Work's just not working for me. So, that of course is not the final word on work. We now, through Christ, are working to redeem those things lost in the fall. Work as God designed it was lost in the fall, but now through Christ we're working to redeem work. We're working to restore those things that are busted by sin. And, and last week I suggested that in order for work to work again, the way God designed it, we were going to have to redefine the Lord's work. When I say the Lord's work, the problem with our definition is that you think of my job and not your job. You think of my vocation and not your vocation. And in order for work to work again, you're going to have to redefine the Lord's work. What? Is it? If we're going to redeem it, you need to redefine the Lord's uh, work. You are doing the Lord's work when you are being obedient to what the Lord has called you to do. You're doing the Lord's work when you're doing what God has called you to do, when you're responding to Him. If He calls you to do it, then by all means do it and do it with everything you've got. And don't just assume that God wouldn't call you into the field that you're in or to do the things that you do because for Him there is no division between sacred and secular. We've created those barriers and our adversary reinforces those barriers because he has a lot to lose if those barriers come down. Our God has not compartmentalized life the way that we've compartmentalized uh, life. In thinking about that, I was thinking about in Exodus, we read the very first time we read about the Holy Spirit coming on someone, he's coming on a general contractor. He's empowering someone to do construction, not to preach or to do miracles. The first time we read about the Holy Spirit coming on someone, it's coming on someone who is going to superintend a building project. Last week, uh, we read a a few quotes from some reformers. This one I'll read again because it's worth reading again. The works of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they be, 
do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks, but that all works are measured by God by faith alone. Indeed, the menial housework of a maidservant is often more acceptable to God than all the fasting and other works of a monk or priest because the monk or priest lacks faith. Martin uh, Luther, who led a reformation. And part of what Martin Luther led people into was an understanding uh, of the priesthood of all believers. That we all had access to God. That we could all handle holy things because we'd been handled by a holy God. That we could all be priests because Jesus, the great priest, had made a way for us to connect with God. Usually, we view pastors, missionaries, priests. I don't know what tradition you come from, but we, usually we see those people as doing the Lord's work. And in order for work to work again, you've got to redefine that. You've got to understand that those doing what God has asked them to do are in fact doing the Lord's work right where they're at. That it doesn't necessarily matter what you do. What matters is why you do it. What makes it the Lord's work is not what you do, it's why you do what you do. So, it's interesting, you know, um, just... Really an interesting idea that the Bible presents in regards to the priesthood of all believers. Ephesians 4 actually says that my job is to equip you for ministry. Unreal. You have a ministry. Did you know that? It's not just me or other pastors here on staff. You actually have a ministry. The Word of God says that you have a ministry, and it actually says that my job is to prepare you for your ministry. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 20. Everything is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't give it to Travis. He didn't give it to Mark. He gave it to us. He gave you the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When the church was smaller to drive this point home, you know, when it was like 30 people in my house, to drive this point home, I made people stand up and introduce themselves and say, hi, I'm Matt Ainley, and I'm here with Matt Ainley Ministries. And then sit back down. And aren't you glad that the church isn't that small anymore? We don't do dumb stuff like that. We've moved on. It's more sophisticated around here. It's a really profound idea, one that I think with, that many of us have lost. You have a ministry, and you're a part of the priesthood of all believers. The Lord's work is not just my work, it's your work. And for work to work, you've got to get your head around that. 
I managed cabinet installation uh, for two years. That's a funny story because I've never installed a cabinet to this day. But I managed cabinet installation because I could run my mouth. And I worked that job for, for two years. And then I, I left that job to work here at Radiant. And I remember making the rounds, <clears throat> going to different subdivisions, going to different contractors and, and telling them, this is my last day. I won't be working with you any longer. And of course, the question comes, what are you going to do? And then I would say, I'm going to pastor. I'm going to pastor a church that I started. And I remember the response from people. And they were a little bit more surprised than I would have liked them to be. <laughs> you know? Wow, really? I didn't know you were into that. And I found myself, I remember, I remember really frustrated thinking, did I rep well? Why is everyone so surprised? This is super discouraging. And I, I think there's something in every one of us that wants to rep well. And Can I ask you a question? Because you have a ministry. What would happen if you went to your coworkers and said, I'm leaving my job, this is my last day here. I'm going into full-time vocational ministry. What would be their response? Would they be surprised? Oh, I didn't know you were into that. I mostly thought you were into fantasy football. Wasting time. Or would they say, that makes sense. I can see that. I've experienced that. What would their response be to you? What would you want their response to be to you? As a Christian, I think we, we genuinely want to be a certain kind of employee. As Christians, we want to be a certain kind of citizen. Like not just a citizen, but a certain kind of citizen. Not just an employee, but a certain kind of employee. We, we want to be a certain kind of person because we know that God has called us to be a certain kind of, of people. We know that we're supposed to be distinct. We know that we're supposed to stand out. And most of us live pretty frustrated that we just blend in. 1 Peter 2.9, this was the scripture that, that really Martin Luther um, drove home when he led a reformation. He says, you're a chosen people. This is from 1 Peter 2. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this makes us distinct. I mean, I, when I read this, I hear like, you're God's chosen people. Stand out. Be distinct. Your hand picked. So stick out. You may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into light. 
We know that the way that we work communicates something about the God that we serve. And we know that we should be a certain kind of employee. And so I want to make some points this morning about how to be distinct in what we do and how to stand out, how to shine like stars, how to be distinct because I find that most people have a longing to be distinct. They know that it's their call as a Christian employee. Obviously, um, our desire as a church is not to be distinct. Um, Our desire is to be obedient to the Word of God. Living a life that is obedient to the Word of God will cause you to be distinct where you work. It will cause you to stand out. So that's our desire. So I want to look at a few things that Scripture says that I believe makes us, if we're obedient to what Scripture says, distinct in our workplace. The first thing, in order to be distinct, you do everything heartily as if unto the Lord. You've maybe heard the passage before. Do everything heartily as if unto the Lord. Colossians 3, 22 through 24. Don't work only while being watched. Don't work. Don't tell me the Bible is not relevant to your life today. Don't, <coughs> don't work only while being watched in order to please men. But work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. There is no task too small that you cannot do it unto the Lord. You can do whatever unto the Lord. He's not picky. He'll take it all. You can do it all as if unto the Lord. But here's what's interesting. It's not just that we can do small tasks unto the Lord, but I believe the small tasks reveal the Lord. That not only do we do what we do unto Him, but when we do what we do unto Him, it can reveal Him to other people. Listen, Jesus, without answering this question out loud, Jesus showed the full extent of the Father's love by doing what? Answer this question in your mind so that you don't feel like an idiot when you're wrong because it's one of those questions that you're supposed to get wrong so that I'm right in the point that I'm trying to make. In your mind, Jesus showed the full extent of the Father's love by doing what? Washing the feet of His friends. The full extent of the Father's love revealed to us as He gets on His knees and does the work of a slave. And not even a Jewish slave. That would be reserved for a Gentile slave. The full extent of the Father's love revealed. Not only can you do small things unto the Lord, the small things that you do can reveal the Lord, can reveal the Father's love. Philippians 2, 
make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave. Taking on the likeness of men. Philippians 2 has such profound truth in it that the early church didn't just say these things and read these things. They sang these things. They sang Philippians 2 because this is, as Tim Keller, as Tim Keller says, theology on fire. This is unreal, what we're reading. They wouldn't just read it, wouldn't just say it. It's more profound than that. The church sang it. Not only can the smallest things be done unto God, they also reveal God. You can do everything unto Him. Remember the context of this passage. The context of Colossians 3. The context of the passage that tells us to do everything heartily as if unto the Lord is written to slaves. Doing what they've decided to be insignificant work. Here's the whole context starting up in verse 17. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. There is no exceptions to this. Some of you might be new to the faith, investigating the faith, and thinking to yourself, see, this is why I don't believe in the Bible, because the Bible believes in slavery. This is why I don't get too serious about what the Bible has to say to us, because the Bible has a lot of strange things to say about slave-master relationships. See, it's dated, it's archaic, and it has nothing to do with my life. Well, before you decide that the Bible has nothing to say to you, because the Bible believes in slaves, I, I, I need to help you understand first century slavery in Rome. Because it's very different than the idea that you have about slavery. When you think of slavery, you think of colonial America. When you think of slavery, you think of the transatlantic slave trade. Slavery in first century Rome, very different than that. And this is not um, a message on slavery, but I just want to help those of you who stumble when you read things like this. Don't assume that you know what the Bible is saying. You don't like it when you're taken out of context. Don't take the Bible out of its context. So the context of Scripture is this. In colonial America, the transatlantic slave trade, uh, slavery was racial, race-based. One race or many races oppressing another. 
But in first century Rome, anyone could play. They weren't particular. It wasn't just one race oppressing another. It wasn't racially motivated. It wasn't race-based at all. It had more to do with your economic status than it did with your race. They weren't picky. It wasn't one group oppressing another. In colonial America, slavery was permanent. But in the first century, it was temporary and voluntary. Voluntary in the same way that your employment would be, right? You choose to take the job. And once you choose to take the job, you choose very little else. Once you say, I'm in, once you enter into a contract with your employer, you don't choose when you show up, you don't choose if you show up, and you don't choose what you do when you show up. But you did sign up for the job. Slavery in the first century in Rome was much like that. Where you, it was voluntary, you signed up for this. After you signed up, you didn't have say in what you, do, what you did, but it was voluntary and, not, and, and, and temporary. In colonial America, slavery was degrading. People were treated like property and possessions, not as people. But in the first century, many times the slaves lived in the household. Many times the slaves were more educated than their owners. Many times the slaves were teachers. Many times the slaves were doctors in a household. Up to a third of the population worked as slaves and walking down the street, you could not tell them apart. They were not somebody's property or possession. So here's my encouragement to you based on what I've shared with you. When you read what the Bible has to say about slaves and masters, instead of going, that relationship means nothing to me, think of it as an employee-employer relationship. Because that's what it was most like. And apply what's said to slaves and masters to the person that you work with. Because it's the closest thing that we have to slavery. Some of you didn't need to be sold on this point. You're like, no, I know that my job is slavery, man. I got it. I'm clear. I know that I'm being oppressed. So for those of you who didn't get it, You're welcome. For those of you who know that your job is slavery, you were already tracking with me. The point here, again, do everything as if unto the Lord. Everything. I wish that everything didn't mean everything. It does. It means everything. And again, hear this. The Lord's work is not a matter of what you do, but a matter of motivation, a matter of why you do what you do, because obviously you can do whatever as if unto the Lord. Apparently a common problem in the early church is that slaves would get saved and then think that surely God wouldn't have me continue in this line of work, which is something that I've also experienced here in the church. You know, you start following Jesus and you think to yourself, surely, surely a good God would not have me stay in this job. Surely, surely God's going to call me out of this line of work into something more sacred. 
Obviously, God has a special call because I'm His special possession. I'm a chosen people. So God is obviously going to choose to lift me out of this dead-end job. Paul, wanting to address this, in 1 Corinthians says this, 1 Corinthians 7, However, each one of you must live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Each person should remain in the life situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? It should not be a concern for you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called as a free man in is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each person should remain with God in whatever situation he was called. These are hard words, yeah? Apparently it's possible to work as somebody else's slave, but be working for Christ. And apparently it's possible to be self-employed or to be a free man, and you're still in the same spot. You're still Christ's slave. You're still working for Him, still employed by Him. So don't just assume that now that the Lord has called you, He's obviously called you out of the situation that you're in. He may call you to show up in a different way in the very same situation that you're in. Paul's big appeal here in 1 Corinthians 7 is don't quit your day job. Don't assume that God's going to call you out of what you've determined is normal or insignificant. He may, in fact, just call you to show up differently to the everyday things He's called you to do. Um, I, I think that... Uh, you know, just, just, just quickly before we move on, I think there's something real significant in the Colossians passage where we're called to do everything heartily as if unto the Lord. The charge here essentially is that Jesus is your boss. And the idea of Jesus as your boss is help for the person who feels underemployed, for the person who feels like they're not being compensated, for the person who feels underappreciated, The Scripture is very clear. No, the Lord will reward you. For the person here who feels like your work isn't making a difference, trust Jesus. He will reward you. The underemployed here, trust Jesus as your compensation. But then for those who are here and you feel overworked, it's not that you feel underemployed or that the work's beneath you. It's actually that work is beyond you and you feel challenged. If you're here and you're working 50 and 60 hour weeks, this scripture has something to say to you as well. And it is that Jesus is your boss. He's your provider. When you continue to work beyond the, the um, boundaries that God has set up for you, you are essentially saying, Jesus, you don't provide for me, I provide for me. Jesus, you don't provide for me. My boss provides for me. And if I piss my boss off, I'm going to be out of work and therefore you won't provide for me. For the person who is overworked, trust Jesus as your boss. Be obedient to His call on your life. 
For the person who's underemployed, who feels underappreciated, trust Jesus as your boss, as the one who sees what you're doing and will pay you back for your work. The other thing that we can do as a group, as a church, to be distinct in the workplace is take some risks. Most people are just trying to keep their job, right? I would encourage you to take risks. Be bold and be shrewd. You know how that works. Be bold and be shrewd, but take risks. Not risks for the sake of risk and not risk for the sake of being reckless, but risk into what God's called you to do. Risk the promotion by opening your mouth. Risk rejection by bringing Jesus into the conversation. Risk your job if God calls you to risk your job. Take risks. Be distinct. Most of us uh, have embraced a sort of friendship evangelism, right? We've been so turned off by the guy on a soapbox. We've been so turned off by the guy handing out tracts. We've been so turned off by the guy with a megaphone that we've swung over here and we've embraced a form of relational evangelism where we're going to build equity, we're going to build relationship before we bring Jesus into the conversation. I think that that's awesome. I think that that's effective. The problem is is that we're not bringing Jesus into the conversation. The The problem with your friendship evangelism is that no one is getting saved. So I'm glad you continue to build relationship. My challenge to you would be to take a risk and bring Jesus into the conversation. Risk rejection. Risk promotion. Risk some of the things that you're trying desperately to keep. It'll make you distinct. I'm all for friendship evangelism. Unless it's an excuse to cover you being a coward. Well, I'm just into friendship of 10, 12 years of being their friend without bringing Jesus into the conversation, I don't find that very friendly. I don't think it's actually very loving to that person. Take a risk. One of the things, I guess, I wanted to be um, real practical here. Um, Would you ask your boss if it's okay if you facilitate a lunchtime conversation about the significance of work? Ask if you can gather a group of people, read this book, Significant Work, Discovering the Extraordinary Worth of What We Do Every Day, and facilitate a conversation where you work on the significance of our faith on how we work. Ask. And they might say, no, I don't want you to do that. And you say, hey, that's fine, just thought I'd ask. But maybe they say, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. You can lead a lunchtime conversation about the significance of faith and work and the significance of, of what we do. You can pick up this. There, I have a few of these in the back if you want to take a look at them. It's written by Paul uh, Rude, and I think it might stir up some really interesting conversations in your workplace. Take a risk. The next thing that I think you can do to be distinct at work is to do everything without grumbling or complaining. Some of you are like, no, man, I, this really, this is for you. Everything without grumbling or complaining. 
Some of you are thinking to yourself, like, I will never, over my dead body, will I facilitate a conversation about faith and work. I don't want to open my mouth about Jesus. Well, here's the good news. You can be distinct by just shutting up. You can shine like stars in the workplace if you just shut up. Just don't grumble and don't complain. So you don't have to talk about Jesus to share Jesus. You can shut up and share Jesus. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Philippians says, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You can shine like a star by shutting up. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. What makes us distinct as Christian employees is not your ability to submit to someone worth submitting to. That's not what makes you distinct. Any run-of-the-mill sinner can do that. You don't have to have Jesus to submit to someone worth submitting to. We can all do that. What makes us distinct is that we, in order to win someone over, submit to people that aren't worth submitting to. We don't just respect people who are respectable. We respect people until they're respectable. We honor them. We esteem them because of the position of authority God's given them in our lives. And that's what makes us distinct. Anybody can follow good leadership. Christians can follow bad leadership. Because we know that what we're doing is done unto the Lord. We know that what we're doing is seen by the Lord. And that He'll pay us back for the injustice that we've faced. If you want to read more about that, I'd encourage you to read um, the rest of 1 Peter 2. The last thing I want to call you to, to be distinct in your workplace, is I want to call you to use your spiritual gifts. I know that you may think that the spiritual gifts only apply in spiritual places, and that your workplace surely is not a spiritual place. God gave you spiritual gifts, not just for our meetings, but for our mission. And our meetings are not our mission. Our meetings are a mentoring place for the marketplace. Our mission exists out there. God gave you spiritual gifts to walk in out there. Your gift of mercy belongs out there. Your gift of leadership belongs out there. It's attached to the mission and not to meetings. Quit thinking when you hear spiritual gifts of meetings. There's not even room for them in this meeting. That's not where we're going to do the spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gifts were given to you for the mission and not just for the meetings. And if, in fact, your spiritual gifts were given to you for the meetings, it's only to encourage the saints to do it out on mission. So if it happens here, this is not prime time. This is not the ultimate. This is really easy. All of you are here nodding because you believe what I believe. It's really easy to get up on my soapbox and preach to the choir. It's very difficult out there. The spiritual gift that you've been given belongs at the hospital. The spiritual gifts you've been given belong in education. The spiritual gifts you've been given belong in construction. 
The spiritual gifts you've been given belong in retail. They belong in agriculture. They aren't just for our meetings. They are for our mission. Use your spiritual gifts in your job. They're not just for spiritual places. In Genesis, God creates the cosmos and then He goes on to fill the cosmos and then He hands out some instructions to men. It's almost like the first job description. And I want to read to you what people call our cultural mandate as the people of God. Uh, Genesis 1, verse 28. God blessed them and He said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This food will be for you. Sorry, i got a smile on my face because I... I don't know how many times in having a conversation about weed, someone brings this one up. It's the only passage that a pothead knows. (laughs) Contains seed, man. God said it'd be good for you. I know know Genesis 1.29. Bummer. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. Okay, I don't want to talk about weed or slavery. Um, I want to talk about this cultural mandate that we've been given. That we're actually still carrying out this mandate that we've been giving. Nancy Piercy, in a book called Total Truth, says this about the cultural mandate. In Genesis, God gives what we might call the first job description. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. The phrase be fruitful and multiply means to develop the social world. Build families, churches, schools, cities, governments, laws, The second phrase, subdue the earth, means harness the natural world, plant crops, build bridges, design computers, compose music. This passage is sometimes called the cultural mandate because it tells us that our original purpose was to create cultures, build civilizations, nothing less. God gives us the responsibility to go on ordering, go on filling Go on creating. That's what we're given in this cultural mandate. What's interesting to me is that the marriage mandate isn't given to us until Genesis chapter 2. And the marriage mandate is a means to fulfill this cultural mandate. And what I've noticed is that we know how to focus on the family. But we don't know how to focus on work. We have no idea how to disciple the businessman. We know how to disciple the dad. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, that we should stop. We should continue to focus on the family. We should continue to disciple the dad. We should continue to pour our time into families because that's something that Mark and I do quite a bit of. We do marriage counseling and family counseling. And we connect with families to help disciple them. 
And I know that we know how to disciple the dad, but we don't know how to disciple the businessman. And I think it's time for the church to take serious our cultural mandate. Not that we won't take serious the marriage mandate. It's really important. But we get this cultural mandate before we get the marriage mandate. And I think we have no idea how to do what God's calling us to do here. How do we spread out Take the good news, take the call, take the spiritual gifts, take what we've been given and create culture. Not just meetings for people to come to. How do we create a marketplace that when people come to it, they realize that there's something different about what we're doing? And I repent for that. That's not on you. All the other things are, especially the part about weed, that's on you. The part that's on me is that we've spent time focusing on the family at the expense of focusing on you as a businessman, as somebody out there creating culture. And so our hope is that what is said, what is shared, what is prayed would apply not just to your life here, not just to your family, but would include what you're doing Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, if you actually have those hours. So here's what we want to do this morning. And I alluded to it last week, but we'd actually love to pray for you and anoint you as someone called to do whatever it is that you're called to do. A couple weeks ago, we had the opportunity of praying off Mike and Katie, and we sent them. We anointed them, which is a way of saying that the Holy Spirit is with you, a way of saying that you're set apart, Mike and Katie, for a call. But every one of us is going into a job tomorrow that I believe God has sent you into. And so what we're going to do is facilitate a ministry time. Uh, That ministry time will be facilitated by the priesthood of all believers. I will not be the one uh, anointing you or sprinkling you with anything because there are people here who have access to God and are just as close to Him as I am. And so what we're going to do is call forward an army of people who don't work here at Radiant Church And they would love to pray for you, love to anoint you. What we'd ask you to do is to say, you know what? Own it. This is what I'm called to. And this is who I'm called to. And I know it. I'm called to be a mom. I know God's called me into that role. And have them set you apart for what God has called you to do. Allow them to bless your vocation. Allow them to bring dignity to what you're doing because that's not something that often happens on a Sunday morning. Monica, would you come? I would encourage you to be bold, to own it, to stand up and say, God's called me to business and I'm not going to shrink back from it. God's called me to education and I'm not going to shrink back from it. Hey man, I, I I mean, I'm not sure what the Lord's called you to. Maybe anything and everything but World of Warcraft. We won't pray for that, but I know that God's called me to eight-hour days of World of Warcraft. Back of the line. Back of the line for you. (laughs) You come up with a different answer. Can't bless that mess. Man, if, if you're called to build government to if you're called as an architect, as you, if you're called as an artist, if you're called as a designer, uh, even if you're not currently walking in that, I mean, there's a long, embarrassing road in my life of saying I'm called to ministry and not necessarily bearing the fruit of that. 
We'd love to pray for you. We would love to bring dignity to what you're doing, set you apart, anoint you. We would ask you that you own it, that you take a stand for it and say, no, doggone it, God's called me to this. I'm going to pray. As I pray, if you're on the ministry team, would you come forward? And uh, Monica is going to lead us in a worship song. You're free to worship with her, or you're also free to worship by responding and coming forward to receive prayer. To conclude our time, we're going to have a few people pray specifically over feel, over um, just different jobs here in the church. Lord, we thank you for your call on our lives, that you've called each and every one of us, not just the pastors here or the ministers here, you've called every one of us. I pray that you would help us rediscover our sentness, that you would send people this morning into government. I pray that you would send people this morning to the hospitals. I pray that you would send people to the sick. I pray that you would send people back to school with newfound purpose. I pray for the firemen, the policemen, those working and serving people in our city, that they would have a sense that you've called them to do that. I pray (laughs) that as we lay hands on people, that spiritual gifts would come alive, that would impact not just our meetings, but would impact our city and the mission that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time.